Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Operation Sequel. Today it's Onimusha 3 Demon Siege. Oni 3, as I'm probably going to call it from now on just because that's a bit of an unwieldy title, was released in Japan on February of 2004. In North America it released in April and PAL got it in July of 2004. It was only ported to Windows and that dropped in December of 2005, February of 2006, and March of 2006 and that's for Japan, Europe, and North America. It then got re-released on Steam in August 22nd, 2007. So, not quite as out of date as the other ones. It was, of course, developed and published by Capcom, and the director was Minori Nakai, and the writing team was Noboro Sugimura, Shin Yoshida, Hiroaki Kanazawa, Minori Nakai again. The composing team was Masamichi Amano, Akari Kaida, Hideki Okugawa, and Kato Suzuki. The blurb this time will be straight from the manual as the last two. So here we go. The year is 1852. As a raging inferno engulfs the remains of Hanoji Temple, a familiar figure stands tall amidst the demon battle. He is none other than Semenosuke Akachi, the warrior possessing ogre power. It was thought that Semenosuke had put a stop to Nobunaga Oda, king of the demons. However, Nobunaga returned from the dead just as the ancient prophecy foretold. Now his evil has spread across time. Samonosuke and Nobunaga are about to face off as their final battle begins. The year is 2004. The colorful, tranquil city of Paris is suddenly attacked by an onslaught of demons. Streets are transformed into rivers of blood and countless citizens are struck down, helpless against the ruthless invaders. However, amidst this hell on earth, one man is fighting back. His name is Jacques Blanc. What fate lies ahead for these two heroes? Now the epic struggle between man and demon comes to its ultimate climax in this epic adventure that crosses the barriers of space and time. Are you ready? Alright, so we're finally here. It's Onomusha 3. Uh, my history with this is about the same as the history with Onomusha 1. Like, 2 is really the only standout in that regard, to where I don't play it that much. But 3, I love playing as much as I love playing 1. And there are a couple reasons for that that I hope to get into. But I don't remember when I played this first, but it was at the perfect time of my life when, you know, a young boy sees Leon the Professional and thinks it's the coolest movie ever, hence making Jean Reno an incredibly cool person. But I remember this as one of the few games in the PS2 era that I actually got excited for and looked forward to the release date. At least in my memory, back then I didn't pay too much attention to what came out when. It was more like I'll go to the store, uh, namely Electronics Boutique and just kind of look around and see what was out. But Onomusha 3 was something that I really jumped on and everything I could get about it, I read. I want to say I got a release date, but I'm not exactly sure. Like, I could have, you know, had to wait a couple days. You take the disc out, you slap it in, and the opening CGI movie starts. And I know I've said Onomusha 1 and Onomusha 2 have very good opening CGI. They do not hold a candle at all to Onomusha 3. I did a little bit of digging and it took them two years to make this opening cutscene, which I would say is probably around four minutes. Definitely Google it, but it is quite impressive and really gets you hyped for what's going to happen in the game. There are a lot of notable things about this game and unless my memory fails you, I hope to hit you with all of them. Number one is, well, we have Jean Reno and it is his likeness as well as his voice. Now, the only problem is, when he's speaking French, it's Jean Reno. 
when he's speaking English, it's another voice actor, which at the time really disappointed me. But looking back on it, reading some articles, they've stated that if they wanted him to speak all the English lines, it just wouldn't have been possible due to cost. So I kind of understand that. You know, you, you, you take what you can get, and I don't understand why exactly they chose him. But from what I read, the article was stating that he was very popular in commercials at the time and in some films. So I guess that's that. Takeshi Kaneshiro is back as Samanosuke. His English voice actor has changed, and I don't know if I just appreciate the campiness of one a little more, but his voice actor is perfectly fine in this. They, they definitely toned down the camp a little bit, so it's a little more palatable if that kind of thing isn't your jam. On some of the other voices there, they've got a pretty standard video game voice cast, like Jennifer Hale is here, BJ Ward is here. You know, it, it's just kind of good. Uh, the only problem I could have is they did replace the voice for Guildenstern, so he's just not quite as cool as he was in the first one. But that's a stupid thing to, you know, complain about, so who cares? Let's talk gameplay, because again, a lot of things have changed. And it's kind of an evolution from 2, so I guess it's not so much changed as much as it's been refined. Number one is... There's now analog movement, and it's true analog movement. It's not just tank controls with the analog stick. Now, the cool thing is, is that they also left in the tank controls if you would like to use the D-pad, and they still included the turn 180 degrees button. So this is kind of in that weird zone where it's tank controls if you want, but if you don't, it controls much smoother. And this really opens up the combat, because like Onomusha 2, the combat here is a lot faster than it is in the first game. It's not quite as, either I've gotten used to it or it changed, it's not quite as oppressive as it is in Onomusha 2. Like the enemies give you some breathing room to try to figure out the situation. Some enemies are based, of course, upon, you know, just rushing you down. But for the most part, it's not nearly as oppressive. And those numbers you have to kill in order to clear out a screen, let's say, is a lot smaller you're not standing around fighting just a single spawn of an enemy over and over again so combat is definitely another step forward now one thing i would like to say is that when it comes to video games how the sausage is made is not very important to me there's very few times where i want to say oh okay so let's see what engine this runs on or how did they tweak the previous engine to make this i generally don't care too much because when i start to care too much I end up paying attention to things that can kind of ruin my enjoyment of a game. And I, I don't want that. So I'm very curious what engine they used on this. And now a quick Google told me it was an LOD engine. No idea what that means. But this engine feels really familiar, right? Like it feels like there was another game made in this engine. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't Code Veronica. And I can't think of anything else at the time that would have led to this kind of Resident Evil-like combat. So I don't know. Uh, if you happen to know another game that used this engine, uh, do let me know, because I'm very curious. I really like the way this game feels. There are a few problems with it. It's really only when things get really hectic that you start to see some slowdown. Mainly when, if, say, you're, you chain isn't five or six big enemies, you know, the where they split apart, it really chugs for a second there. But for the most part, I think this runs very well. The graphics aren't quite the leap that it was from 1 to 2. Think like a half step upwards, but 
the environments have gone from pre-rendered background to full 3D. So everything looks more of the same piece than it did. Now, this does mean, you know, it's PS2 graphics, so that's not going to look quite as nice as it does pre-rendered. But I think it looks pretty good for its time. Uh, even now, you know, once you get used to the old PS2 face, it's not too bad. Speaking of, let's talk about our second character. Because you spend, I would say, 50% as this other... Nah, you know, there's a third character, so let, let's say it's 40-40-20. Jacques uses a whip as his main combat weapon. And the same thing as Samonosuke, there are elemental whips. His combat is a little bit different than Samonosuke. You're not going to be rushing in as much as you are with Samonosuke. He likes to stay more ranged because there's a new, let's say, category of moves with your charged attacks. With Jacques, it's kind of a hold. So, you know, you take your whip, you wrap it around him, and it just holds the enemy there. If you press square, you can shoot him a bunch of times. Or if you press a direction as well as square, you will throw them. Now, you can do this all the way up to the biggest monsters as long as, you know, you're upgrading your gauntlet. He more tends to be crowd control than he is straight damage. At least for me, it felt that way. So, you know, you have a bunch of enemies spawned. You're going to pick one of them, pick them up, throw them into the other ones to push them all back and give you a little bit of breathing room. When you have a bunch of big enemies at you at once, like the gorillas, if, you know, you've got four or five gorillas coming at you, it is very tense to try to keep things, you know, under your control while they're just running at you. So his playstyle is very different. Other than that, there's not really too much about him. He does a little bit more platforming in this, but it's not really platforming. It's every once in a while you'll see these gold firefly kind of things, and you can just latch onto them and they'll take you to different places. And for the most part, it's not like him and Semenosuke visit many of the same areas in the same time. So they're not even really, you know, you won't see an area as Samonuski very often and go, oh, okay, that's meant for Jock. Also, my French is terrible, meaning I have no French at all. So I'm pretty sure it's Jacques, but I may be wrong. Like I said, he's pretty much just Samonosuke 2.0. Just a little bit of a different moveset, maybe a little bit of a different playstyle. You can go in and just wade into the enemies with Jacques. It's just, I found it more effective to play kind of a keep away management role. The, the new weapons for Samonosuke, like I mentioned, is he's now officially dual wields. So he's probably, you know, got enough experience to class up. Uh, the They're kind of holy swords. And it being dual sword really doesn't do much other than a cosmetic change. And of course, light too. The power, you know, where you hold in the button and it charges up. It doesn't do anything other than kind of a slash that just knocks things down. So... He has a little bit of crowd management, but not near as much as Jacques. And then, of course, he's got his Earth Axe. It's no longer a hammer like it was with Jubei. It is an axe. And last, you have his Wind Representative, which this time, it's kind of a Nodachi sword. So it doesn't quite have the same utility as the Wind Weapon from the past one, the Glaives. Uh, they are a lot more generous with your sub-weapons here. Here, you only have a bow as Samonosuke. But you get a bunch of different elemental arrows. You know, you'll get electric, you'll get ice, you'll get fire, you'll get cursed. You know, they, they made it quite easy to keep a full stock in case you need it. And 
Just like the first two, there aren't really that many enemies that require it, but they're still there. Like, they still have those kind of clusters that suck up the souls. And now we come to our first, let's say, prickly point, and that is Akko. Akko is a Tengu that looks nothing like a Tengu, and basically she's a little Tinkerbell. And she has an incredibly high-pitched voice, and she kind of drags the story down. She is what is kind of the go-between between Samonosuke and Jacques. Because Jacques can't speak Japanese, and Samonosuke cannot speak French. So there kind of needs to be this hand-wavy babblefish kind of thing. Akko is that. She also is what allows you to transport items between the times, which... You don't use very often, but you'll use it. Mainly, you know, if you're Jacques, you want to send some arrows, or maybe one person's lighter on healing items than the other, or, you know, those story-specific items you need to progress the game. Now, gameplay-wise, I think Akko is great. There are different vests that you can equip her with, and you have to find these out in the world, but they each have very specific uses. The red vest turns all souls that will appear into red souls. So you no longer get yellow souls that may go to waste because you might be at full health, or you'll no longer get blue souls. Everything is just red. Um, there are nine different vests, but the ones that I mainly used were the red vest, the white vest, which will heal you if you stand still, which is incredibly useful in something like the Dark Realm. That does make a return here, where if you finish off a floor and you're kind of busted up, you can just stand there for a good three, four minutes, and you'll be back to full health. Actually, you end up relying on that a lot, which lets you save your healing items, which they are incredibly generous with, again, for those boss fights where you don't really have the opportunity to stand around. If you want to play that way, where you're very judicious about your use of healing items, you'll be spending a lot of time standing around, but, you know, nowadays, hey, check your phone, watch a video, whatever. If you don't want to use that, then it's just as, let's say, restrictive with its health items as the last two, which is not really at all. There are also uh, the orange vest. The orange vest will flash when it is time, at the exact moment you're supposed to hit the attack to get Isin, which is a very useful training tool to have. There are a bunch of other vests, but now that I've mentioned the training tools, I would like to touch on those. So this actually has training rooms. Your first couple of training rooms will be very basic stuff of, you know, block or counter or, you know, how to use the, uh, the ogre lasso ability for Jacques. As you progress in the game, you'll find books and these books open up new training regiments. And each training regiment has beginner, intermediate and advanced. But later on in the game, these are very helpful to learn timings for things. So if you die in here, it's not a big deal. You can just restart, but it takes you to kind of a dedicated arena. And let's say you select Isin training. It will keep spawning certain enemies until you've gotten the Isin timing down. Now, this isn't like a practice mode in a fighting game. There are rewards for finishing these, and if you actually finish all of them, you get quite a good reward. But say you're having trouble with, you know, just figuring Isin timings or deflect Isin timings, things like that. It is a great place to go in and get practice without, you know, standing around and reloading an area that you're having trouble with. So I think that is, that is A+. And in case you're curious, the rewards you get 
for completing all the trainings is the black vest for Akko, which turns every single one of your attacks into a critical. So it's pretty much like unlimited ammo in Resident Evil. It just breaks the game. But if you're good enough to get it, then you really wouldn't have a problem with the difficulty anyway. It also unlocks a coda onto the ending if you manage to do that. Another gameplay thing that Akko is quite useful for is if an enemy drops something, she will pick it up and bring it to you even in the middle of a fight. So, you know, you're mashing a square so you can attack. All you got to do is tap X and it could be an herb. It could be, you know, some arrows. It could be first aid kit. It could be a bunch of different things. So she's actually, like I said, quite useful on the gameplay front. It's just the anime pixiness of her that kind of gets to me. And I think brings down the story a little bit. Now, Granted, again, you know, it's, it's Onomusha. It's not going to be one of a culture's greatest novels. It's just, eh, it just wears on me after a while. The warping of items, like I said, across the time zones is kind of, it's very Resident Evil Zero without the problems that Resident Evil Zero ran into. You know, with that, you had to worry about inventory space. With this, you can carry as much junk as you possibly could want, and it doesn't matter it kind of avoids that trouble and it just ends up being kind of a player consideration because you know you may do a lot better with Jacques than you do with Samonosuke. Personally I did a lot better with Samonosuke in terms of combat than I did with Jacques. Not that he's weaker it's just I'm used to Sam you know. But towards the end I had enough souls on both of them to hit max on all the weapons plus the armor plus the gauntlet. So they're still, again, generous with the amount of souls. Now, I did goof around a bit and just, you know, kill things because of the combat. It's great. So you might not hit that on a normal playthrough. Oh, speaking of normal playthroughs. Uh, so <laughs> this, this was a little funky. So I got up until the water temple, if you know the game. And thankfully, it's not a Zelda water temple. But my PS2 died. And it was a little while before I had the money left to, you know, get a new one. So by the time I had gotten a new one, I ended up having to just restart. Because, you know, I have my notes, but eh, kind of wanted to play it again. So it's not that far into the game. So I, I the first time I did it, I was not near as set up as I was the second time. Because I knew what's coming. Because just, just like the first one, knowledge in this is more important than skill. For the most part, until you hit the Dark Realm, that's kind of what you're trafficking in is knowledge. You know, knowing where to go. You know, can I avoid this fight? You shouldn't ever avoid a fight because they're great. But that kind of thing. The last character I'd like to talk about is Michelle, who is voiced by Jennifer Hale, which she is just awesome. She plays like a Resident Evil character. It really made me wish there was a Resi in this engine because this engine works phenomenal when guns are in play. And she has, you know, uh, a bullpup machine gun, a grenade launcher, your, your standard Resident Evil weapons. Her sections are not very long. Like, they are shorter than the Kaede parts in 1. Yeah, they might be shorter than, like, the sub-character parts of 2 as well. They're not very long. They still, you know, do a hand wave to let you... Ooh, you have an item that can suck up the souls. So every, per, every enemy you kill, you still get to suck up their souls. And you give that to... Samonosuke, I believe, in both parts. So the progress you make as Michelle, you can't upgrade anything. You can find new weapons, but all of the, you know, upgrade souls you've acquired by that point just go to Samonosuke. 
Unless you want to, you know, take the time and send that to Jacques, and then you can do that. So all three characters play really well, and they all kind of play differently. And it was always fun to have that point where, oh, okay, I'm playing as another character. I never really was disappointed to switch to a different character. Another small gameplay upgrade that actually is quite a big deal in terms of long run is you're now able to control when you turn into the Onomusha. So when you collect your fat old purple orbs, you can collect five and be sitting on a full gauge and not turn into it unless you click in the right thumbstick. Now, this is great because if you think, you know, you're a little wary on how good you're going to do on a boss fight or maybe in the dark realm, if you die with a full Onomusha gauge, then it will resurrect you as Onomusha and you can continue playing and you don't have to use an item like the wooden talisman to bring you back. So that's actually a very smart idea and I'm glad they, they took that next step. They didn't really take the another step and make all the bosses unique. It's kind of a Onomusha thing, I guess, by this point, that you will fight repeating boss battles. They don't repeat near as much as the last ones, but, you know, you'll fight, like, the demon dog twice. And it, it, it's not a huge deal, like I said in the last ones. It's just, ah, you know, it would have been great to fight another character. You know, where you're fighting Ranmaru more than once. It's, eh, you know, okay, I, I guess I understand. It's not a huge deal. It makes sense in the story. So that's really all you want. You do finally get to fight Gildenstern, and, uh, well, he's a pain in the butt. But I'm glad you finally got to finish that off, because even though Dawn of Dreams exists now, this was supposed to be the final wrap-up of Onimusha. I mean, I believe it even states it on the back of the box as a stinger of, like, the end of the Onomusha saga. And you can tell that in some regards. It's kind of like Final Fantasy IX, actually. They play a lot with what has come before. Not so much with two, because I believe that was a completely separate team. But with one, like, you know, you'll walk into the zoo and, you know, you'll see little hints to Onomusha 1. Or you walk into the, uh, I forget the name of the place. I believe it's also in the zoo, the control building in the zoo, I believe. And, you know, you'll see paintings of o Onomusha 1 bosses and Onomusha 2 bosses. Like, you'll see Fortinbra and, and Gogandantes. And it, it's really cool, just the little nods they give to, you know, what's come before. A lot of legacy things are still here, right? Like, there's still puzzle bosses. There's still a death puzzle, which I'm ashamed to say it got me. It shouldn't have, but it did. So this time, it's not like a sliding tile puzzle like the puzzle boxes are and like it was in the first one. This time, it's kind of Simon. And they give you, okay, here's a three-button sequence. Okay, let's tack on three more to that, and then we'll tack on three more to that. And by the end, you have to remember like a 12-button sequence. And I don't know if I told you or not, but this kind of plays into the point. I have a terrible memory. So like 45 seconds of having to remember things, I, w I was done by the end of it. And, you know, I lost like two hours worth of gameplay because I'm also terrible at remembering the safe. So it got me. Congratulations, Capcom. You got me. The next time I just won't, you know, wrote them down. But, you know, it gave me a good laugh. You know, they got me. Okay, so let's talk story. Like the other two, there's not much story to talk about here. The added wrinkle of being in two different time eras isn't used very often. There are some places like with, here we go with the French, Mont Saint-Michel, I think that's the name of it. it. Sounds a lot better when they say it. 
um, there are some parts where, you know, because Samonosuke is in the present era, things are broken and busted down that, you know, Jacques has to go and send him something. Or if Jacques opens the door in his time, it will open up and still be open in Samonosuke's time. It's hard to remember that Jacques is in the past and Samonosuke is in the present. And they don't use it all that much to where it's something you'll constantly be doing. Like, to be honest, it's not given into your control fully until quite late in the game. So, for the most part, you're playing who the story dictates, not who you want to play. And it is a little weird because there's also a Samonosuke in Jacques' time. So, it, it, it gets a little confusing. Until, you know, you stop and you think for 10 seconds, then it's not, you know, too bad. We're not talking, you know, what was the name of that one Time Paradox movie that I can't remember about the guys and that's incredibly vague so never mind the Samonosuke's end of the story is not bad it's kind of just him going after Nobunaga again and you know all the steps he's got to take to do it Jacques story is very melodramatic and I know video games love melodrama even if it's not well advised like there's a side story with Jacques son Henri and Michelle who Jacques is currently in a relationship with and how Henri blames himself for his mother's death and doesn't want Michelle to take it's really out of place and not in a oh it's somber in a game that's very lighthearted. no it's just out of place and I think they wanted to give you something to you know connect with Jacques on a personal level but it just felt weird especially when you toss Akko in there there's also a little bit of hand wavy sometimes in the story where you know Henri will just know that his dad's in danger and you know needs to get the motorcycle key you know that it's it's serviceable i don't think it's as strong as one and it's not as outlandish as two in, in a good term it but it serves its purpose it does bring a nice end to this story so you know don't go in expecting this you know well interwoven story it's Kind of a video game story. That being said, there are some truly great moments that are just a lot of fun to play. And that being said, that's kind of the whole point of this trilogy. It feels like going through it again. It's just, yeah, the story is serviceable. You know, you may be curious what happens to Jubei or Semenuske or Jacques. But in the end, it's really all about the gameplay. And I think that's why I like Capcom as much as I do. Is, you know, I don't think Capcom's ever told a story that's worth repeating like all the games i can think of right now they're all kind of dumb video game stories and i love them for that because it lets them put more emphasis on gameplay i might not have said this but the gameplay here is fantastic like even if you've played one and you've played two and ah they felt kind of stiff you know they just feel of their era don't worry about it pick up onamusha 3 because the combat is incredibly fast it's not devil may cry it still has its roots in that kind of slowered considered action, but it is very fast paced. Kind of think, well, to use Capcom games, kind of think the difference between like Resident Evil 4 and Lost Planet 2. They're both shooting games, but one is a slower, more considered approach to a shooting game. Onomusha is kind of a slower, more considered approach to a character action game. And three is the quickest that has gotten so far. 
Now, I don't have a lot of history with Dawn of Dreams. As a matter of fact, I don't even know if I finished it. Because, you know, once you finish 3, it's kind of like, oh, okay, the story is wrapped up. It's all done. Wow, this is an amazingly strong trilogy of games. And then later on comes Dawn of Dreams, and you're like, huh, okay, well, I'll give it a shot. And I don't remember much about it, so that'll be interesting to go back and see. But like I said with Onomusha 2, Onomusha 3 is everything from the last two games just done better. Even the Dark Realm is done better in the fact that, you know, you clear a floor and then three different portals open up. And there's a blue one and a pink one and a green one. And I, at first I was like, oh no, this is going to be a maze. But once you step on it, there's a map that shows you, okay, if you take the blue, blue path, you'll go this way. And the green path goes this way. Everything, there are no rough edges to this game. There are a lot of things done in the player's consideration in this game. Because if you want to take the time to be good at this, which always sounds weird when you say that about a single player game, but nah, we used to do it. The things they've added, like, you know, chain isins, where if you can clear out a whole room with one good stretch of isins or the, the 10 swipe attack, there is a lot of skill ceiling here. But it doesn't require that. Like, when you're fighting Nobunaga, you can kind of just spam, you know, magic attacks and, you know, use a few healing items and all that, and you'll scratch your way through. The skill ceiling is not high unless you want it to be. I mean, the Dark Realm does get hard. Like, I got, I got kicked the crap out of in the Dark Realm once or twice as Jacques. So they're there. The whole game is not that hard. Speaking of the ending... A few things I'd like to say. Uh, one is, I was happy you finally got to take out Nobunaga. You know, you, you were just kind of, you know, asking for it at this point. I'm kind of sad that, say, Fordenbras didn't come back in some weird time warpy thing. That would have been cool. But the ending is is good. You know, uh, Jacques goes back to his time, and, and Samanosuke goes back, stays in his, and it just, everything works out nice. It's a nice bow on it. Then they have the Stinger. And the stinger is Hideyoshi. And you might not remember him, but he was the little toady from Onomusha 1 who was working for the Oda clan. And if you know history, then you know, you know, after Nobunaga dies in Hanoji Temple, it's Hideyoshi that kind of takes up the mantle of reuniting Japan. And they make a very nice little teaser to it. At the end, you know, after the credits, the little stinger. So I really like that. That is very cool because that plays with history as well as, you know, in the Onomusha storyline. Okay, I think that's everything for Onomusha 3. Just buy it and play it. You, you won't regret it. It's great. What's not so great, and I was going to do a whole episode on this, but after I played it a couple times and I took notes, I don't have enough to, to even talk for like 20 minutes on this. And that's Onomusha Blade Warriors. So I'm just going to kind of slap on what I think of this because it's going to be very short. It's not a very fun party game. I played with, you know, um, my daughter and I played with my wife. I played with friends and it's not very fun. There is some, it, it's not as mindless and pick up and play as Smash Brothers can be if you're playing it at that level. The AI is actually quite cheap and it's just not that much fun. I mean, there is a story mode of sorts for the characters, and that's kind of cool to work your way through and play with those. But the battles get old fast. And it's cool that there's some interaction between the save games, too, to where you can unlock new characters if you have save files from other games. I always like it when games do that because it's kind of a reward for, hey, 
thanks for playing our last game, you know. And it's kind of sad to see, like, like Onomusha Blade Warriors is really the only black mark, I think, that's on the series. And granted, it's not part of the main series, but even Tactics, Onomusha Tactics, which I'm, I'm not going to play, it's it's an okay strategy game. Like, it, it does what it sets out to do perfectly fine. But Blade Warriors will always be this kind of weird stepchild of a not quite a fighting game, not quite a party game, have at it. You know, it, it's just weird. It can be fun playing co-op. Like, I did have some fun with a friend playing co-op. But after about, you know, two, three matches, we were both kind of like, eh, eh, yeah, whatever. It's okay. So that's my verdict on Onomusha Blade Warriors. Eh? It's okay. I mean, it's incredibly cheap. So buy it so it looks nice next to the Onomusha Essentials and Dawn of Dreams. But don't expect to get a lot of worth out of it, at least for me. Uh, if you do really like Blade Warriors, uh, toss me a message. Let me know, because I'm, I'm curious what people think of this game, because nobody really talks about it. So I'm curious. If Blade Warriors is, like, your favorite party game, then uh, hit me up and let me know why. I'm very curious. All right, so now that that is done, all that's left to say is... Well, I was going to say goodbye, but I guess I should say Onomusha Dawn of Dreams is next. And now, we will catch you next time. Thank you very much for listening.